0: thanks to Harry's for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Get your free trial set including a razor handle, 5-blade cartridge and shave gel. Go to harrys.com/fool. It's Thursday, October 19th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer and joining me in studio, we've got Ron Gross from Motley Fool's Total Income and Matt Argersinger from Million Dollar Portfolio. Guys, hey. hey. Hey! Happy 30th anniversary of Black Monday. (laughs) Oh! Happy. Okay. (laughs) All right. That's that's one way to (laughs) to put it.
1: Melancholy, just kind of the single the
0: single worst percentage day in stock market history, and I want to talk about that in a minute. But I also want to talk eBay, airlines, and Blue Apron. Woof. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's, a, it's, a, it's a woofed kind of a day. It is
0: a woofed kind of a day. So Let's start with a, a Black Monday. Today is the 30th anniversary. October 19th, 1987, the single worst percentage drop in stock market history. The Dow fell 508 points, more than 22%. If you put that in today's terms, that would be around a 5,200-point drop Oof. in the Dow. Ron? yeah. <laughs> you you were around. I was. I was around. Oh, it
2: certainly was around. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was.
0: I was right out of college, yeah. wait, waiting tables. Yeah, two o one an hour plus tips. Um, <laughs> nice. But I remember Black Monday. Of course. What what's the takeaway for investors?
2: The takeaway I think is is that these corrections are certainly going to happen. We know it. It's for certain. Now will they happen this severely? As this this is the most severe. It's 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 pointing at something and saying you know that is the worst that we've seen. Will will something like that happen again? perhaps but I think it's much much less likely we have first of all the markets are different we have circuit breakers in place that halt the market when certain you know dips happen to give everyone a breather but I would say the thing that worries me the most is most folks blame that crash on computer trading program traders that kind of kicked in and exacerbated the problem I think today more than more than ever, We are so dependent on computers running the markets, um, and the the quant traders out there, and the algorithms, and so that does worry me. It could happen again, but I don't. I don't. I tend to not think we will see something so extreme, like a twenty percent down day.
1: Yeah, the crashes are going to happen. We're going to have a market crash at some point, Uh, whether it happens in a day, like it did in nineteen eighty-seven, or it happens over the course of several years, like we saw. In uh, in 2000 to 2002, or even you know in 2008, our, our recent experience. But the the reasons for a crash are always different. So there aren't there there are a few lessons I think you can take from 1987, because as Ron pointed out, the, the circumstances are so different. But I do agree with him. We are in a situation where you know we we had programmatic trading back then, but even to, today the the algorithms behind that are driving the the market, the returns, the prices that you see in the stock market are are. are, are much more advanced and much more complex and much more prolific than we can ever imagine. And so we haven't really had a, a test of that system if if all of a sudden there was some kind of exogenous factor that hit the market. What happens to all these programs? Um, you know, do they start kicking in, they start selling all these ETFs, these dynamic ETFs that we have these days, are they gonna all start doing something and all kind of go in unison and start selling the market? We don't know. All we know is that a crash is going to happen at some point. And I don't know what exogenous means, but if something from the outside <laughs> were to occur,
2: that's su- such as no, I think I think something geopolitical could 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 be the thing, right? And it's always the thing that you don't think of or you're not expecting, but something bad um, from a terrorism perspective, a North Korea perspective could could be the shock we need because you know valuations are are stretched, interest rates are going to rise, uh, we're kind of ripe. For something exogenous to come in and, and take a swipe at us, but if it, if we get a five percent correction, right, that would take us back to August eighteenth. Was everyone okay on August eighteenth? That's pretty good. I was. <laughs> I it was It was my was sister's happy. birthday. It was yeah. fine. Right. <laughs> so I mean, if we get a fifteen percent correction, we're back to the beginning of the year. I, well, that was fine too, right? We're we're pretty good. Felt so good. so yeah. I I don't think it's something we should be worried about or losing sleep over. Okay, so
0: as we wrap this up, if I'm an investor, and to your point, Ron, what are some things I can be doing to maybe not prepare for the next crash, but what are some questions I should be asking, or as I look at my portfolio, is there a way to stress test it? What can I do? Because it's it's one thing to say crashes happen, but it's another thing to go through it and look at your portfolio and and see what's happening.
2: For sure, make sure that the money you need over the next 3 years or even 5 if you're a conservative is not invested in the stock market that should help you sleep at night and and should make your portfolio battle tested and then just look at your portfolio and say is this is this what i want to be invested in am i happy with the way i'm invested here um, most people don't necessarily have the time to do that on a weekly or even monthly basis, but you know, occasionally, quarterly, even take a look at your portfolio and make sure it fits your vision of the world, and and make sure you stay safe and you can sleep at night.
1: Yeah, agree with all that. And I'd say, Mac, what we talked about before the show just becomes even more relevant. Look at your portfolio. You know, what companies are trading at high valuations that you look at and say, you know, if something fundamentally happened. Not just a market crash, but maybe a recession or some other, um, you know, bad kind of more extended event. What companies are vulnerable? And what it comes down to is companies that are strong, companies that have great business models, great competitive advantages. Those are companies that are not only going to survive a crash, they're going to thrive and take market share from competitors coming out of it. When the tide goes out, though, a lot of the companies that have sort of been swimming around in this glorious bull market we've had for going on nine years now. Um, those are the ones where, that are very vulnerable. and So, maybe take a little bit more of a, especially if you're worried about a crash, take a critical look at what companies you have and ask yourself, why do I own this? Do I own this because I believe it's a strong business, or do I own it because it's just been this great momentum company that is doing all these great things, but I don't really understand it? That's when you might want to trim. And you know,
2: do not panic. That is yeah. the one thing. Just don't look at your brokerage statement every day. Don't look at the Dow or the S&P, whatever your preferred index is, every day if we get into some dark times. Just let it go. Stay the course. If you have cash, put it back into the market at lower
0: prices and don't panic. Let it go. There should be a song, a Disney <laughs> song about Do you want it? me to start singing? Yes. I don't I think do. anyone wants that. <laughs> okay, let's move to eBay. Um, Matt shares of eBay down on earnings. Big story here is eBay spending a lot to compete with a little company named Amazon. <laughs> yeah. And not
1: probably not doing a great job of it. I mean, on the surface, things look good at eBay. Revenue, gross merchandise volume were up nine percent. That's a that's one of the better quarters in a while for eBay. The problem is, and their guidance for the fourth quarter, sixty-eight percent growth, the problem is e-commerce as a whole across the US is growing at a closer to fifteen percent. So if I take those numbers and I say, well eBay, if you think about it, is actually potentially losing share. It's not growing as fast as the overall um, e-commerce market, whereas Amazon is, and of course Walmart and some other competitors who who, uh, who are investing heavily in it are as well disappointing I, I would say to see StubHub revenue up only five percent. this is another growth pillar for the company. you know there's a lot of new competition out there with tickets and live events and resale and I, I was disappointed in that number at the same time eBay I mean this is a this is a great business. I mean if you think about it, they did two point four billion in revenue in the corner. Uh, in the quarter, they generated 720 million in free cash flow from that number. That's a 30% free cash flow yield. I mean, that's like
0: it seems like a lot.
1: Oh yeah, I mean there there, there are maybe <laughs> handful, there are a handful of companies in the world that can do those kind of free cash flow yield. Um, but taking the long term view, what has eBay done for shareholders? I mean, I looked, I took a look at a five year chart of eBay, um, and this is adjusted for the PayPal spinoff. If you invest in eBay five years ago, you're up 75%. Hey, that's that's not that's pretty respectable. Yeah. Amazon, over those five years, up 300%. At some point, Amazon took the vertical approach to e-commerce. They're the ones who invest in fulfillment, distribution, shipping, all those things that eBay said, you know what, we're going to stick with our light business model, we're not going to do that. And what happened is, Amazon captured a lot of those third-party sellers that used to love eBay, and may still use eBay to a certain extent, but they said, you know, Amazon offers me so much more, and I can access so many more buyers just makes much more sense. And so, I think eBay's lost that battle a little bit. Still a great business, but I look at the growth, I look at the competition with Amazon, I'm not sure what investors can expect buying today. You know, sometimes I look at these things from the
2: consumer's perspective, and in fact, I try to do that as much as I can. I never got it, personally. In the early days when it was auction-related, it didn't appeal to me. Today, if I want to buy something, I'm much more likely to go to Amazon, I mean, a hundred times more likely. Um, it feels different. It, um, the, the look and feel is different. The fulfilled by Amazon, in quotes, is a big deal to me. It gives you the sense that Amazon is there taking care of you, making, watching the transaction even if they're not. Amazon Prime is a big deal. Um, so, I can't see as a consumer, unless it's some really difficult to find item, ever choosing eBay over Amazon.
0: Okay. So, as an investor, what would be the best single argument for investing in eBay instead of Amazon?
1: Well, I mean, you know, on a profitability basis, eBay crushes Amazon. I mean, look at that free cash flow. I talked about Amazon is comfortable, as we know, not reporting any profits. So eBay works, I think, as a business that can grow small, you know, grow in the single digits, generate a ton of cash, and they've been buying back stock. They buy back more stock, maybe pay a dividend at some point. But this, to me, is more of a hey, steady income play um they're still operating i mean they're still operating in the in the e-commerce space which of course is a secular growth market to be in i just don't think you're going to get amazing returns you can you can get decent
0: returns by buying eBay today okay guys well before we get to our next story i want to say thanks again to harry's for supporting today's episode of market Foolery. i love shaving with harry's the razor the blades the shave gels guys don't we all feel a lot better after a close shave huh. No, absolutely, Ron. I don't do could it use enough. One. I could, you could use, use one. one.
2: I'm, I'm not big on the shaving, but when you, when you get something that works, stick with it for sure.
0: Okay. Well, Harry's will give you that great shave. Harry's is so confident you'll love their blades. They're giving you their trial set for free. You just cover the three dollars shipping. Nice. That's right, Ron. Three dollars wow. for a free trial and a smooth face. So stop messing around with whatever you're shaving with. You've got one face. And you want to treat it right. You've got one face, right? It strives clearly. So get started with Harry's, um, get started shaving with Harry's today by claiming your free trial set. That includes a weighted ergonomic razor handle, five precision engineer blades with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade. I love the trimmer blade. I mean, if you don't who doesn't have the love blade, a trimmer blade, everyone loves a trimmer blade. <laughs> and you get rich lathering shave gel and a travel blade cover. That's a $13 value for free. You just cover the shipping. Go to slash fool That's slash fool Okay, Matt, this next story is for you because you have been bullish on the airlines, and so I need you to sort this one out for you for me. We've got United Continental reporting better than expected earnings despite all the hurricane-related events, so that sounds good, right? But they lowered guidance back in September, so they kind of got over a lowered bar and shares down big on Thursday. So what does it all mean for investors?
1: Well, I think there's there's definitely some short-term turbulence in the airline markets, <laughs> nice. I mean, especially for United uh, Continental. I mean, they're, they're, you got to remember that one of their big hubs is Houston, which of course was devastated yes, in September. Home of the Astros, right? right. Go I Astros! I hope they can. Ugh. Yeah, I know. Don't, um, get, me, don't get me started. <laughs> but uh, uh, fuel prices are a little bit higher. I mentioned Houston. You know, the hurricanes have have hurt United more than the other airlines. So you've got some turbulence. They saw a four percent drop in passenger revenue per available seat mile. Prasm. That that great airline well, metric. Now, what is of, that acronym? Uh, Prasm. It's passenger revenue per available seat mile. Oh my gosh, I'm uh, gonna I'm gonna just mix that
0: into my like <laughs> after dinner conversation tonight, <laughs> honey.
1: <laughs> so uh, earlier in the year, United was guiding for growth in that metric over the full year. They've had they've had negative numbers now. They're they're guiding for a negative number in the fourth quarter. So that's that's got investors, I think, a little worried. I like United a lot. I mean, I like the airlines in general. I think United's got some things going for it. It's got Austin Munoz, who came over from CSX a couple years ago. It's got, a, it's got some activist investors involved. They've done a lot. Their goal essentially is to try to catch Delta. Um, Delta has superior margins in the industry. Uh, United's for years has, has been about five percentage points below Delta in terms of operating margin. So that's their big goal is to kind of catch up with that. And I think they're doing it. Um, and you've got a stock price here at United that's eight times earnings. And that, that goes for most of the airlines. They're in the single-digit uh, PE multiples, and I just think with the consolidation that's happened in the industry, you know, you have four airlines now controlling eighty percent of the of the seats. You've got uh, lower fuel prices over time, more efficient airline airplanes. I think there's I think there's going to be value here with these airlines. We know Warren Buffett has made a big investment with Berkshire Hathaway. So if these companies can turn it around, if the margins keep going up. If uh, if you believe what American Airlines CEO recently said that they're never going to lose money again, which I disagree with, but yeah. could happen, then there's no reason why in a few years Ameri- uh, United Airlines and other airlines, United Continental and other airlines can't deserve at least a market multiple versus the really discounted market multiple they've been giving for years. Rightfully so. If that's the case, you're looking at a double in most of these stock prices. This is more of a question.
2: Southwest seems to have pulled away in terms of stock price lately, and certainly it's valued higher. It's approaching 20 times versus, as you said, the others are more like 10. What
1: what are they doing? What accounts for that? Well, I think there's a cultural thing with Southwest, and I think in, in, and that's in kind of ingrained in the market that investors have always been willing to pay a higher multiple. But that's just because Southwest has been always more efficient, operating margins have always been higher. They haven't had the huge expenses in terms of labor and fuel that the uh, other airlines have had. They've just been better at managing mm-hmm. those things. And And they've
2: got a ticker symbol of love. Of course. Right. It's such a great ticker. It is.
1: And so, you know, to to me, it's a matter of can Delta United, the multiples for those companies, American Airlines, can they catch up with something like
0: Southwest and the market? I think so. And my favorite stat um, you mentioned um, United um, Continental CEO Oscar Munoz, Matt. He said that in this last quarter, there were 28 days in which United did not bump a passenger, and their previous record, Was zero days. (laughs) That's a great, great quote. So,
1: so they are changing, right? Well, yeah, and again, there's, there's, airlines are never going to be maybe except for Southwest a little bit. They don't have a lot of brand recognition. Passengers, passengers like us, we don't care. We just want the lowest price in general. What's happened with the consolidation is that now, for example, Mac, if you want to fly back to Houston to see your family. You're you're pretty limited in your choices yep. you can make. United is one of the few that goes direct, right? And so, or for the World Series, if, Or for the World Series, if, <laughs> or you know, man. less hopefully, of hopefully, hopefully that happens. Yeah. I don't know, <laughs> damn Yankees. But but you know, this is just it's the Send it's your changed a lot. Matt. Right. I know, I know. But the industry has changed a lot, and I think for the better. And I think at some point, I think Warren Buffett's pretty been early on this. I think there's going to be some love back to the airlines.
0: Now here's what I don't get, and I know they've done the math here, but if you fly Frontier, they nickel and dime you on everything. They've got like a carry-on item, which is different from a personal item, and you pay, and you pay, and you pay, why don't you just bake that in? Southwest takes more of the bake that in, right. because even if I end up paying Southwest a little more, there's something about the psychology of feeling like you're charging me to go to the bathroom.
2: <laughs> no, I agree, but then they're just copying Southwest. They're trying to differentiate well, Copy themselves. Southwest. Yeah, <laughs> I <laughs> that's would that's copy big, Southwest. How about Spirit Airlines? The, the, the website, I'm not smart enough to figure out the website. Is that right? They're, I just, I they're know, always just, so much cheaper, so I but don't I don't trust it. it. Like I they don't
0: get it. They basically pay me to fly to Houston. I'm like, this can't be right. There's got to be a catch. <laughs> okay. Um, our final story, Blue Apron, the meal kit delivery company, laying off 6% of its workforce. Um, and Ron, it's been in addition to delivering meals, it's delivered a lot of bad news to investors since going public back in June. Tough this, is, road this is a new public company and the stock is now trading at around half of its IPO price
2: it's tough. They went public at, you know, it was a bad month to go public right when um Amazon said they were going to be acquiring Whole Foods. So everyone got nervous. Oops. Valuations started moving around for the competition. Um and speaking of competition, there's just too too much of it. Um whether you're at Hello Fresh or Blue Apron or Sunbasket, Green Chef, plated uh too many players trying to um, go after the same demographic, and, and that's not going to work. So, not everyone's going to make it. I don't know if consolidation makes sense, or if we're just going to see folks go out of business. At the heart, this is a subscription business. It's all about cost of acquisition, customer acquisition, and retention, and how much you can charge um, for for the subscription. And Those things are tough, and they, they've got to get it right, and there are too many players chasing the, the same dollar.
0: Matt?
1: I, I, what do you see? Well, you know, I, I my wife and I, we love HelloFresh. We get it almost every week. Um, I, I like the meal kit, the idea behind a meal kit. Yep. Um, I just, I just think, as Ron pointed out, there's just so many competitors. They're, they're having to pay so much to acquire new subscribers. There's at least, There's got to be at least some cons- consolidation or something that's going to happen in the marketplace, or maybe a Whole Foods or a bigger Amazon or a bigger grocery chain will acquire one and maybe be able to. Do it in a cost-effective way, but right now, I just
0: for investors, just not a lot there. So, Ron, what's more likely out of these two scenarios: either Blue Apron goes private or Blue Apron gets acquired?
2: That's a toughie. I'm not sure why a private equity investor would want them and what they think they could do to them to make them more profitable and then take them public again down the road. So, perhaps an acquisition or consolidation. I think I would I would bet on that more so than
0: private. Okay, well, we will keep an eye on it. Um, guys, thanks for joining me today.
1: Thanks, Matt.
0: Thanks, man. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.